Hello and welcome to Real Living. This is Lavinia Spirito with Mary Lou Nemechek, and we are going to continue uh, giving you a little bit of a preview of the pilgrimage that we are going to be taking very soon. Are you excited, Mary Lou? I am. I'm. I'm. Now I'm thinking about the packing. I know, up. right? Yeah. I just got back last night from Florida from being gone for two and a half weeks, and I put that stuff away, and now I'm pulling out my big suitcase to put the next trip in there. And sometimes I wonder. <laughs> we're watching weather. We're we're just getting ready. I know, right? Organized. What's the weather? Are you watching the weather? I'm not watching the weather. Yeah. How, how's it looking? It looks good. Looks and good. It, it, it looked like um, like the funeral people, you know, on on social media, like who are monitoring Benedict Sixteenth's, like the the wound wind up. They they're they're walking around in in heavy jackets though. It looks like it might be a bit cold. Yeah, it is wrong. cold. Mm-hmm. Of course, it is cold in January, but I mean, we still be open to beautiful days. I think that's the beautiful part hey, of the whole thing. We've been over there when it snowed. Yep. Yep. Oh. We certainly did. We've been in Jerusalem when it snowed. Remember that? Yep. That was not a whole lot of fun, but yeah. No, it wasn't. All right. So what we have been doing is we've been going through the itinerary for our upcoming pilgrimage to Assisi and to Rome. Uh, with side trips to Siena, Loreto, and Orvieto, and uh, with a side trip at the very end to a surprise location, which we are going to disclose to you here in the next show or two. <clears throat> I think that we had already kind of covered what we're going to do from Assisi. Uh, if you will recall, just to recap a little bit, we uh, decided to stay in Assisi for about four or five nights to give people an, an option to just kind of soak up the atmosphere of the place to be there, it's just an, it is an amazing, incredible medieval Italian town, apart from the whole spiritual component, right? Exactly. Um, the Basilica, uh, San Damiano, uh, all the various stuff. First of all, Umbria, the region, is a dreamy place. I mean, it truly is, um, I think probably more than Tuscany, it kind of conveys um, uh, the sort of the, this is smack dab in the center of Italy, right? It's not on the ocean. It has no no approaches on the ocean. So it has a very particular atmosphere. Not to mention the food is amazing. I keep saying that. You can tell where my heart is. But <laughs> you can tell that uh, we're going to have a nice time in that department as well. But yes. um, just the opportunity to be in Assisi uh, and to be able to do our side trips, I think that's going to be amazing. We're also going to have a chance, and I think I mentioned this last time, to have a couple of uh, half-day retreats um, in Assisi. They're giving us a chapel in the Basilica, which is kind of cool, that we kind of can hang out on our own. Um, and uh, I'm going to try and cover a little bit about St. Francis and St. Clair. When we go to, to Siena, I'm going to try to cover St. Catherine, right? I'm right. actually thinking, Mary Lou, of copying some of um ralph martin's um, oh yes reflections yep. on mm -hmm. saint catherine of siena catherine. and attaching those to the newsletter i'm going to send out for the people on the trip and that way i think we'll give people a little bit of a background a little bit more than oh cool where are we if is it tuesday is it mean we're siena you know mm -hmm. a lot of people kind of get a little muddled when they're on a trip like this well you know these small towns that we're visiting they're so intact. It's like going back centuries. You know, when you walk into these these basilicas, these churches, these 
places that that um, are so sacred, you can't help but be moved. I mean, I love to watch the people on the trips of of how it affects them, because there are conversions, there are so many things that happen. These deeper conversions and connections to to the church that people experience when they're there, and that's the whole point. And and, and it, I think it's a wonderful time of the year to go, aside from it being yeah you know cold. chilly and cold, but <clears throat> you don't have these huge crowds. So you really have a chance to walk around, visit places, see places without being frustrated by uh, queuing up and and you know being rushed everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it it really. As strange as it sounds, even though there's not leaves on the trees, it's a it really is a beautiful time and a time of kind of silence to really reflect um, on the places that that you visit, the saints that that have been there, um, and uh, you know, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. Mm-hmm. Amen. I think that's going to be yeah. So it's going to be quite a treat. <clears throat> I think what we did in our last couple of shows we talked about. The beginning part of the trip, we talked about Assisi, the middle part of the trip, and then I think we may have returned to Rome, um, which is on a day nine of our trip, and we are going to. And I think last time we talked about the Scavi tour. This guy, just a little bit of a recap: the Scavi tour is are the excavations below the Basilica of Saint Peter's, where, lo and behold, they found a first century cemetery or necropolis, and within they found the bones of Peter. I'm just going to come out and say, call him. Bones of Peter, because that's are. what they are, right? Yep. <clears throat> and I think that's kind of cool. Um, we're going to have an opportunity to go down in small groups, in groups of 10, um, down down below the Basilica of St. Peter uh, at the first century level. Well, it's a necropolis. It, it, it's, it's, you, you see what, it, what Rome looked like at that point in time. You're walking on that very ground. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just so amazing. Um, and it just highlights how... You know, Holy Mother of the Church, everything kind of, all these pieces fall into place. Mm-hmm. Who knew that Peter's mm-hmm. bones were, were were absolutely buried right under the, the church? Right. The altar. Come on. Right below the, the altar? Yeah. yeah. I mean. Is that talk, a coincidence? No. Well, talk about the sense of the place. I think they did. They found the same thing with the bones of, P, of Paul. That the right. bones of Paul ended up being underneath the altar of St. Paul outside the walls, which, you know. In a certain sense, it's kind of a no-duh, you know? But in another certain sense, it's like, you know, there's people wandering around going, saying, who was Paul? Did he even exist? Who was Peter? Was he made up? Was he just mm-hmm. this this guy who never went to Rome? You know, that kind of thing. I mean, so you're, you're kind of, um, you're kind of addressing a lot of worldviews, a lot of different points of view, right? We think everybody knows that Peter was the first pope and that he's buried below the basilica, the, the, you know, the main altar, but that's kind of a foreign concept for a lot of people. Yep. It is. So I think that just an opportunity to be able to see that, I think that's going to be pretty amazing. And of course, we're going to see the the Vatican, uh, the Vatican museums, you know, that's always a big highlight. We also have, think have a, uh, a uh, general audience. We have tickets to the general audience, which is always a circus, you know, it's always a free for all. But it's interesting. At least it's inside in the wintertime. I know, right? <laughs> better, right? Um, uh, well, I'm excited. On that same day, we're scheduled to go to the Church of Santa Maria in Vialata, which in the basement, traditional holds that that is where San Marziale, 
the martyr, hosted Peter, Luke, and Paul. And actually, that tradition says that that may have been the house where Paul was held in house arrest. Wow. For two years. Now, make no mistake, um, that's the first imprisonment, the first Roman imprisonment. The second or third one, when he finally ended up being you know, martyred in 67 or 68, uh, is probably the Mamertine prison, which is in Mamertino, which is a straight up prison, a dungeon where he would have been uh, chained uh, to the wall or chained to a soldier, chained to other prisoners and in a very dank environment with no light, you know, kind of very, very... Um, is that I, over by the forum? Yeah. Yeah, I've yeah, I've walked over there. The Mamertino. Yeah. Kind of mm-hmm. gives you an idea of uh, of that. Uh, and then I think the next day we're... Now, these are all things that are pretty fluid. I think that I got a, a message from the travel agency. We were supposed to have a private tour of the Sistine Chapel, but mm-hmm. we cannot... Oh. We cannot because there is there are work there's stuff going on. I forgot what it is. Anyway, we're working on it. So that's too bad. But we've done that a couple, two or three times, um, and it's always amazing. Instead, we're going to go see uh, the Basilica of Santa Maria in Trastevere, Our Lady in Trastevere, which is one of the oldest churches in Rome and the oldest church in the world devoted to the Blessed Mother of Saint Mary, and uh, it's uh, Trastevere comes from the ancient trans tiberinum meaning on the other side of the Tiber, mm-hmm. on the other side of the Tiber, and uh so it's pretty interesting because really when you think about it even deep during persecution times in 221 and 227 uh the first church was built there so wow. so it kind of gives us a, a i think a um a picture into ancient times so we think about the first three centuries of the church and we think, oh, those guys were just always in the catacombs and it was always a mess and all that stuff. And they were always being persecuted. But actually, that's not true. They were given a chance to kind of emerge at 70 or 80 year periods at a time to emerge, to even build churches or build sanctuaries. And then there would be another wave of persecution which would drive everybody underground. So it wasn't constant persecution. It was. It depended on the emperor. It depended on the Roman governor of the time, depending on where you lived. If you lived in North Africa, if you lived in Rome, if you lived in Spain, depending, right? So right. I think that's important because people will say, wait a minute, a church that was started in 221? Wait a minute, weren't they persecuted? Yes, they were, uh, but probably not during this time, right? Right. So I and think that, that-, that church really is an interesting church. It's so ancient. I don't remember the story about the pillars, but I think that they got the pillars from someplace else mm-hmm. and moved them into that church. I mean, there's just so many artifacts there that um, it's it's just one of the most interesting places you're going to visit. I like how it is also the base of um, one of Rome's interesting communities called the community of Sant'Egidio. Mm-hmm. St. Egidio's community, and they have a pretty big international presence. We we visited them, I think, three times ago, maybe four times right. ago. Um, they have a big sort of charitable social justice mission to the gypsies in Italy, to uh, the poor in Italy, to, you know, they, they have brokered peace treaties between warring African nations, that kind of thing. So they're, they're pretty, pretty amazing which I think would be a nice visit to see them. 
Uh, I, I'm also excited. I think we're going to go see Tor de Specchi, which is um, right off of Piazza Venezia. So think about the big white typewriter monument. The big mm -hmm. one, mm -hmm. big white monument looks like a birthday cake. Birthday to, cake. To birthday to Victor Emmanuel. Uh, right off that piazza, there's a very ancient building, Tor de Specchi, where St. Francis of Rome lived. Oh. And she is one. Of, I love her. I'm very devoted to her. I my my younger daughter is named after her, Santa Francesca Romana, San Francis, mm. Francis of Rome. And I've always had a, a particular devotion to her. I think that's going to be kind of cool to go visit the home of the Oblates of St. Francis of Rome, established in 1433 by St. Francis, Santa Francesca herself. Um, we're going the next day, of course, like I said, to the papal audience, to St. Paul's outside the walls, which is always kind of a big, you know, you got to get in the, you know, it's far because it's considered to be outside the walls of the original Rome. Right. But, but even then it's far. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not close, but yeah. and it's also the original church was burned to the ground in the 1800s, but it was rebuilt to kind of reflect the original layout of the constant of the original Constantinian Basilica. So what you need to know when you go visit Rome is that Constantine left a big, huge footprint, even though that was a long time ago. Uh, in terms of the buildings that he repurposed uh, for um, and that he built to to mark his Christian faith, right? So we're going to go see, I think, the Holy Cross in Jerusalem, Santa Croce in Jerusalemme, which is a church now, but used to be a, quote, basilica. And a basilica in the Roman system was a courthouse or a public building. It was not a church. It didn't have religious functions. Uh, and so what he did is he took an existing building he gave it to his mother and eventually became a church wow. on the cross in Jerusalem. And that's where the relics of the cross, of the true cross, that she brought back from Jerusalem in the 320s um, are housed wow. in the basement. So I think that's going to be interesting to go see that as well. That's a beautiful church. Um, what did Constantine do? He built St. Peter's Basilica. Of course, the, the today's basilica is not the same original one, right. right? The original one was built out of wood, wasn't it? It was built out of wood. It was built in mm -hmm. Constantine's lifetime. Right. So in the 330s. And the Basilica of St. Paul also was built by Constantine in his lifetime. And so we're talking extremely ancient places. So is there anything left of the original basilica's book? Underneath, we can see the the original works underneath the current day basilicas. But for the most part, I think the most important part of this whole thing is showing where people always knew the apostles to be buried. Right. So Saint Paul, Saint Peter is in a certain place because that's where Peter was martyred and his bones were kept. Saint Paul is in a different place because that's where Paul, Paul's bones, Paul's relics. We're kept right and you can you can see them and you can access them and i mean i think that it's like beyond cool i think we mentioned that we're going to go see the lateran saint john lateran and the scala santa well you know saint paul's outside the wall you know one of the fun places one of the fun things to see there are the are the names and pictures of all the popes and there's only one pope where the light is on and that would be francis mm -hmm. so um Along the, the ceiling, you see all the different popes, and there's, what, 265 of them now? Something like that. that what you, you walk into the church, and then you look up, and behind you, 
and you see all the medallions with the faces mm -hmm. of the popes mm -hmm. going all the way to Peter and and ending in Francis at this point. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It gives you a real sense of continuity. I don't think many people understand. You know, I I wonder what people who go like just visit these things because they're in Rome, they have to go visit and they but they don't really know, you know, mm -hmm. what's going on. A point on the Lateran, on St. John Lateran. St. John Lateran is considered the parish church of Rome. Um, and the, the main, like the seat of the parish church of Rome. And also an important part is that it, to it used to be attached the Lateran Palace, which used to be where the popes lived until Avignon. Until Avignon, until the 1300s, the captivity in Avignon, right? So right. where the French popes went uh, and removed the papacy to get away from the Roman noble housing houses in fighting. Um, and they they took they just removed to Avignon. There's a beautiful palace there too, as, as a matter of fact. Uh, and they just took, because they just didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to deal with it. They were French. The French king said, "Come and be with us. It'll be great." And so they did for like 80 years. But when they came before then, you didn't really speak of the Vatican. You spoke of the Lateran because right. that's where the popes lived in the Lateran palace attached to is Saint John's Lateran, right? Right. Il Laterano. After the return from the captivity, then they resettled in the quote, the Vatican. So it's very different, uh, two different places. That's why when you read people who refer to the Vatican before the 1300s, they don't know what they're talking about because there was no such thing as the Vatican until they returned after the captivity. I think that's kind of a good point, right? Mm -hmm. um, we have, of course, uh, the Scala Santa, the Holy Stairs, which is uh, an opportunity that we will have to um, to pray at the Holy Stairs. What are the Holy Stairs? You remember? Those are the stairs in um, Pilate's palace. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Considered to be the stairs where Jesus. Jesus. Was <clears throat> and and so they're the, worn. I mean, people will go up on their knees praying, right. praying, and they're steep. I mean, there's quite a few of them, and yeah. it's it's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have, uh, then we're going to St. Mary Major and Santa Prasede. I think we'd mentioned this last time. Santa Maria Maggiore is one of the four main basilicas of Rome. It's so a beautiful one of the four church. What are the four main basilicas of Rome? St. Peter's, mm -hmm. St. John's, St. Paul outside the wall, and St. Mary Major. St. Mary Major and St. John Lateran are on both ends of the um, Nomentana, no, Merulana. Anyway, on a main artery, ancient Roman main artery. But on the same main artery, there's some incredible proto-churches, including, I think, Santa Prasede, which is we will visit. Uh, there was a senator named Pudens. He is actually mentioned in Paul's letters. And he seems to have been, an, an, obviously, an ancient convert. Now, if you look at Roman society, Roman society was very top-heavy, right? At the top was the emperor. And around the emperor was the Senate and the equestrian classes and the people who served them. And those were only the first 3% of everybody else. So for a senator to be converted was a huge thing. He was really at the top of the pyramid. And tradition holds his daughter, her daughters, he had two daughters, Prasede and Pudenciana. And those are the names of two beautiful proto-Christian churches in Rome. Mm -hmm. And this particular one, Santa, Santa Prasede, has incredible mosaics. We're going to continue with our description in our next show. Thank you for joining us.